Good morning, everybody. My name is Henry Michael. I'm the pastor over students and families, and uh, today we're actually going to be talking about family. And I know for a lot of you, if you don't have kids or you don't, um, maybe you're not married or your kids are out of the house, this is one of those weekends where you may want to, where you feel like you may want to shut your ears off. But I want to encourage you, uh, this message is for everybody. This message is for every single person, whether you have an immediate family living in your house or not, because my goal today is for you to see that God's vision for family is much bigger than we often realize. And so to do that, we're going to look into Genesis chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Genesis 15. Uh, There's Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. If you're on a tablet or a device, we're going to be in NIV. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, the easiest one to find. Maybe Revelation is just as easy, but Genesis 15... Uh, We like to open up our Bibles, we like to talk about our Bibles, because we believe that the Bible should not be a mystery for you. And we're going to be talking about a a familiar passage, and that is where Abraham is, is making a covenant, or God's making a covenant with Abraham, that he is going to make his family great, and he's also going to bring them into the promised land. And we're going to see that God has a very rich vision for family. But before we jump into our passage, I want us to understand a couple concepts first. The first one is, there is nowhere in Scripture that will tell you that we should have an individualistic relationship with God. And what that means is, an individualistic, I can't even say it, individualistic relationship with God is a relationship that focuses on, it's just me and God. I'm the center of this, my relationship with God only involves me and God. That's what I mean by that. And uh, Leslie Newbegin, he's a British theologian. He kind of gets to the heart of what we need to understand when we read Genesis chapter 15. He says, from its beginning, the Bible sees human life in terms of relationships. Human life is a mutual relationship. The most fundamental being between man and woman, parents and children, between families, clans, and nations. The Bible speaks of humanity in terms of the families of earth of the earth. It follows that this mutual relatedness, this dependence upon one another, another is not merely part of the journey towards the goal of salvation, but intrinsic to the goal itself. The vision for family, interrelated uh, relationships where we work together. This isn't just a fun family strategy that we should try, and if it doesn't work, then we just move on to the next family strategy. This is God's family strategies. This is how we set up our world so that we depend on one another. The family of God, the church, works together as a family. So we're not only going to talk about what this actually means, but why this is vitally important for every single person. But before we do that, let's pray. Our prayer is uh, based on Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through you we are given a new, a new heart and a new spirit. You redeem, you restore, and you rebuild us. Teach us and transform us through your word. Guide us and move us by your Holy Spirit to respond to your truth. Remind us that we are chosen and called to know you and to make you known. Lord, I pray this week as we jump into Thanksgiving and all that comes with that, with families and people coming together Uh, Pray for safety, for traveling, for sicknesses, and also pray for peace 
uh, and families this, this Thanksgiving. I pray that you open up your word to us and that you speak to us. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so first off, before we jump into our passage, uh, let's get to figure out how we got here. In the passage, in Genesis 15, it says, uh, it, it calls him Abram. I'm not going to call him Abram. It gets too confusing. I keep saying Abraham, and I've, I messed that up even last night. I'm just going to call him Abraham. Uh, at this moment, he's Abram. In two more chapters, he's going to be cha- his name's going to change to Abraham, which is is furthering the commitment that God has to him that he's going to be uh, the father of many many people. And so, uh, that's first. Um, the second thing that we need to understand about Abraham is that uh, he. Uh, used to be a pagan. He used to uh, worship other gods. He used to bow down to other idols. And God calls him in Genesis 12 to follow him, to go into a land that he didn't know, to follow a God he didn't know. We don't know why God chose Abraham. We don't know why Abraham followed God. And so this is, this is just a mystery that we have, but God uses Abraham to bless our world. And so in Genesis 15, we see kind of this second major interaction that he has with God, starting in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so my servant, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so this morning we're going to look at two ways in which the family of God work together as a family. And the first one uh, is foundational. The family of God works together by understanding what it means to be the people of God. We need to know what it means to be the people of God before we work together to actually be the people of God. And I wanted this first thing, and it didn't work, and it was kind of cheesy. I wanted the first point to be, you're a star. And I was going to give out stars, like stickers, and we could all wear them. But I didn't do that. (laughs) But it, it, it points to the fact, listen... If you are a Christian, you are a star. You are a star. You're part of the promise. He was talking about Israel. He said he was going to take Israel and put them in the land, and he made them as numerous as the sand on the shore. He did that for Israel, but Jesus made it bigger. Jesus made it so that if we have faith in him, we are a part of the same promise of Abraham. We're stars. That's good news. And if we are one big family, if we are a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, that God has done on the cross through his own blood, it means something different for our families. This is not the normal kind of family. So we need to understand, if you are a Christian, you are part of God's family, and that is not marked by any sort of nationality, by a, la- <coughs> by a last name, or by your abilities. You can even add your knowledge That does not define your family. The thing that uh, defines us is that we have faith in the same thing, and that is the risen Jesus. We share 
in the promise of Abraham. But as a family, now we're all a family, and we, if you're a Christian, we're, we're all brothers and sisters, and that's a beautiful thing. So what do we do? In uh, chapter 12, about 10 years before uh, chapter 15, God says, this is, this is your purpose. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the fam- peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Some, some um, translations will say families. They, they mix together. The families on earth will be blessed through this promise. Our purpose is to bless. Leslie Newbegin goes on to say, um, there, is, there is and there cannot be can be no private salvation of humanity, no saving work that God does that does not involve us with each other. So that's, again, he's going back to this individualistic type of faith. And it's a really good exercise for all of us. If we are Christians, we can think back to all the people that helped us along the way, that taught us the Bible, that, that helped us um, understand big concepts about God. None of us became Christians in a vacuum. We need other people, and that's what he's saying here. God's saving revelation does not come to us straight down from above, so to speak. In order to receive God's saving revelation, we have to open the door to our neighbor whom he sends as his appointed messenger. Not a messenger that we can eventually dispense with when we learn what is needed, but a fellow human image of God with whom we will together permanently share our home. He's making a countercultural statement here in the way that we think about each other. We need each other in order to know and experience God. This is where the family comes in. This is discipleship. Discipleship is the process, the lifelong process, I should say, of learning about and becoming more like Christ. All of us who are Christians are, should be involved in some sort of discipleship. When we think about parents, your kids, you are the first voice, as we said in, in, in our dedications. You're the first voice. You're the first and primary discipler of your kid. But you should not do it alone. You shouldn't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We need other parental figures in our kids' life and in our lives. They may not even be parents But we have parental figures. We bring in other people and we model to our kids, model to our families, not just to model it, but to grow through it, that we need each other to experience Christ. Even Abraham, when you look at his life, it's not like God just spoke to him. It was just this personal thing. Everywhere he went, he blessed other people. That's our purpose. So the question I have for you is, who do you have in your life that you are blessing and are you being blessed by others? So we, uh, I've talked, I talked about this uh, a while back, um, but on Tuesdays we have family worship. And it's a pretty simple process. We have uh, a time of worship. We have these YouTube videos um, that we watch that, that the kids love to do the signs and all that kind of stuff. And then we read a Bible story from a kid's Bible. We maybe do some memory verses and we pray and then we do... Um, Uh, worship again, and then we do a blessing, and then we send them to bed right away. 
all these, like it sounds like a really cool thing, and it is sometimes, but most of the time it's not. I just want to make sure when I say that we do this, it's not because I'm like this spiritual person. It's chaos almost every single time. There are times, and there's a reason why there's umbrellas involved, but Navy will hit Hank with an umbrella sometimes. They will fight, they will scream, they will push back, and sometimes we have to change things up, maybe go a little bit shorter. It can be chaos, but it's worth it. Now, a couple weeks ago, I've got a picture here of my uh, youngest. This is Mac. He's really cute. Um, this is chaos in human form. Um, so, well, part of, the, part of the reason why he's chaos is on Tuesday nights is also swim lesson night for the, for the older two. And so, like, we're kind of running in hot. Everyone's hungry. Everyone's kind of angry about being hungry. And then we, um, then we try to talk about God, and we're disciplining them in the midst of teaching them about God. It can be very confusing for everybody involved, but um, this, this little guy, he's still, he doesn't really understand what's going on yet. He's still too young. And so he's, he's tired, and when he's tired, he reacts differently than, than the other kids. He gets more energetic, he gets more crazy, and he gets more destructive. And his head is enormous. You can't really tell in this picture. Um, he's basically, wherever his head goes, he goes. And, and when he gets tired, he can't really stop himself. And so he's got a chipped tooth uh, because he smashed his face into the ground. Like, the kid is chaos. Um, and in this moment, in our family, I, I promise I'm getting to a point here. Um, in our, this point in our family worship, uh, he's, he was being chaotic. And so I was like, okay, I just got to put him to bed. We're not getting, this is just, this is not, nothing's happening. And so I go upstairs and I was like, hey, Holly, if you want to just start prayer requests and, and then I'll come down and join you after. He loves going to bed. He was tired. He wanted to go to bed. It was a quick process. And so I, I put him to bed and, and, and once we finally got the destroyer down and away, um, I came back down and I saw Holly was talking with the kids and, and they, were, they were doing something a little bit different to buy some time. And what they did was they started talking about all the different people that have taught them about Jesus. And you have the normal ones. You have uh, parents, in, or us, sorry, I'm their parents. Um, Holly and I, they have grandparents in there. And then the, most of the list were specific names of people in our kids' ministry. Some of them staff, some of them volunteers. They've taught our kids a lot. They, my kids memorize scripture. We talk, that's what we do on, um, on family worship nights is re recite. And they're like, be strong and courageous. You know, they're doing all the hand motions that they learn in the back. They will, on the way home, tell us whole Bible stories because they're able to understand it. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. And, and what struck me the most from this situation was that I oftentimes, and I'm going to be honest here, I oftentimes will drop my kids off in the kids' ministry as more of a convenience. And I'm the one who leads that staff. That's a problem. <laughs> Sometimes I do it as a convenience, and I don't recognize that every single week we are being blessed by our family, by the people of God. Many of you guys have experienced that too in the kids' ministry, in the student ministry, at VBS, at FCA camp, at all the things we do. We don't do things just to keep you busy. We want adults, we want godly, godly people in your kids' lives helping you, walking alongside them. 
It's on purpose that we do that because we are a family. We want to work together. We don't want to bring in the world standards of relationships. It's this cost-benefit analysis every time we meet somebody like, man, what can you give me? Until you can't give it to me, I'll hang out with you. We cannot do that as a family. We need each other. I want us to think bigger about the people in this room, the people sitting around us that we may not know yet. No one in here is dispensable. Each person is an opportunity to bless or be blessed. Our purpose as the people of God is to be a blessing to others. Don't miss out on that. But there's something else. Being a part of the family is often hard as well. Um, There's many reasons why we can enter into a church building, be surrounded by a ton of people, and feel completely lonely. Uh, Maybe you just moved here. Maybe you got some hard stuff going on at home. Maybe um, you got young kids and you just don't really have time or the energy to, to see or hang out with other people. Maybe you feel like everyone in here seems to be best friends or they're all married or they're all this or they're all that and you can still feel lonely. And so the question we have to ask next, is being a part of this family worth it? Especially if you're in that situation. So if we understand that our purpose is to bless, we need to also understand that the family of God works together by having faith in God's plan. This is supposed to say two, but it is two. If we went around the room, I think we could all uh, uh, have some amazing stories of being blessed and blessing others, and those are the stories that we need to tell over and over and over again because life is extremely hard. There's a lot of hard things that happen in our lives, but we need to understand, too, that God is not surprised by hard things that happen in our lives. Abraham had just heard this beautiful vision. You are going to have a huge family. I'm going to bring you into the promised land, but there's some things coming up that won't be so grand or good. Let's jump into verse 7 of Genesis 15. He also said to him, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so they, they agree, this, this next couple of verses are kind of weird to the modern ears, and we got kids in here, so I just wanted to make sure we understood. They're establishing a covenant here, and then God's going to tell them something very, very important. So we're going to jump into verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions." You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached his full measure. So what's happening here is that God is foreshadowing some pretty dark things. Yes, they're going to get the land and he's going to get the descendants. But within that promise, there's something in there that's kind of, it's weird, He's telling them, hey, just so you know, your family is going to go into a foreign land. This thing's not going to happen right away. Not only will they go there, but they're going to be mistreated and they're going to be enslaved. Basically, you're gonna, there's going to be moments in your life where you're going to think that 
I have completely abandoned you, that I'm not good. But I'm telling you this is going to happen so that you know that I am good and I'm going to take you out and I'm going to do this in my power, not yours. Not to be surprised when hard things happen. Again, there's no promise in Scripture that says the Christian life is going to be easy. How does the family of God deal with moments where God seems distant or that he has abandoned us or that he doesn't seem good or just? We need each other in order to have faith in God's plan, not just this disembodied pie in the sky, everything's going to be great type of faith. We need to walk together in hardship, love each other in hardship. Our first year here um, was crazy. I, we, we moved here, and I think like the next week we started youth group. And then like two weeks after that, we had like camp getaway. And so it was just chaos. Um, add on to that, my wife's from Kentucky, lived her whole life in Kentucky. It was like the coldest winter ever. Tons of snow. Um, and then added on that, we had our first and only so far miscarriage. And it was a pretty traumatic one, and I've talked about this before, but, um, and, and I say traumatic because it happened, and it was hard, and I know many of you have, have had similar or worse situations, so I'm not, we're not trying to say anything else other than that, but she was on bed rest for a long time, it was taxing, I had a new job, and I had to come home and just take over, and people had to come, it, it was just insane. We were exhausted all the way around. And within this pain, within this just absolute, just being so tired, someone in our church stepped up and made us a meal train. And it was really, it was a beautiful thing because I'm very picky when it comes to people cooking for me. Holly's the best cook. And she knows what we need to do. I, I have preferences on what I like to eat. My, my son has allergies that he's extremely allergic to, and people took my son's allergies seriously, and they even took my preferences seriously. It was wonderful. We had delicious uh, meals almost every single night. We had people bringing us flowers, sweets, kind notes. People were taking our kids out to, to just give us a break. It was a wonderful thing. It's how we met a lot of you, a lot of the people that I'm looking at right now. Faith was really hard on our own. It seemed senseless. It seemed pointless. It seemed hopeless. But we were introduced to some people that we would never have met in the same way. It was a weird way to meet people. But we were introduced to some people that we wouldn't have met. We would have heard their stories that we maybe wouldn't have heard. We got hope in something, not just a hope that, hey, maybe we'll just have a healthy baby someday, something even bigger than that. Hope that we will see that baby again in heaven and that we can draw closer to Christ and that someday we're going to live in fully in Christ where there's going to be no more tears, no more pain. That's the promise that we have in Scripture. And so we do that together, and Jesus made it clear that he was redefining family when he uh, was with his disciples in Matthew 12, 49 and 50, pointing at his disciples. He said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He established this new reality on the cross so that when we have faith in Christ, we might receive adoptions as sons. We are sons and daughters of the king of the universe, brothers and sisters. 
One of the coolest things that we do at Five Oaks, many people in here probably have never even heard of. It's called Encircled. And Encircled is uh, this really cool ministry that we partnered with and we've, we're just we're diving into because uh, what, what they do is they take juniors and seniors in high school and they, uh, they take a strengths test and just learn about themselves. And then they make a plan with this coach of like, what do you want your life to look like based on, on your strengths? What do you, uh, what's your vision for life? And they help them work through that. And then the coolest part and the part that it makes this the best thing that we do is they have to find, uh, th- you know, three to five, it can be as many as they want, Adults in their life that are speaking in, that have spoken into their lives throughout their, their lifespan. And the reason why this is so powerful is because there are a lot of things coming up in this, in this uh, life for these students. College brings in some new things. This transition is, can be tough living at home and going to college or going to the workplace. As I said, Scripture doesn't promise an easy life. Anything can happen, and what better than having adults that know your vision and that walk alongside you and pray for you in that process. The research, this is ba- there's a ton of research on this. We've talked about this before, but I want you to hear it from, the, this is a really like technical way of saying what I'm saying, is that having adults around your students and your kids is the best way to go. He, uh, Christian Smith, a Notre Dame sociologist, he says this, those religiously serious teens they call the devoted have a larger number of non-parental adults in their lives whom they can turn to for support, advice, and help. In some, the lives of more religious teens are compared to less religious teens, statistically more likely to be linked to and surrounded by adults, particularly non-parental adults, who I know, who know and care about them, and who themselves have social ties to the teens' parents. Faith is easy when we do it together. Easier, sorry, not easy. Easier when we do it together. And the biggest encouragement I want for you guys is don't wait for your kids to be juniors or seniors to, to bring adults, godly adults, in their lives. We can't also wait for people to fall into our laps. It's hard for people to introduce themselves into the lives of your family rhythms. It's tough for people to do that. Um, November 1st, we had a parenting event where Chase Sachs, he came and uh, just shared about his life based on uh, his attractions, and uh, he's decided his holiness and his walk with Jesus um, can only happen if he uh, remains celibate, if he uh, basically is going to be single uh, for his whole life. And He's denying himself a relationship with a woman. He's recognizing the fact that he's not going to have any kids. And a lot of people, and I think naturally, will think, man, this is, that's a really sad thing. Because we do find joy in marriage, find joy in kids. But after talking to him and reading from other people in his situation, he is neither sad or lonely. I'm sure any, he's sad or lonely at times, like any of us can be in our supposedly better married lives. But... What he has learned from his discipleship journey and what should be true for every single one of us 
is that the biggest blessing in life is not being married, it's not having kids. The biggest blessing in life is knowing Jesus. And he made it clear to his church that he needs people around him. He's, I need you to be my emergency contact. I need you to take care of me when I'm old. And he's not asking too much of the church. In his small group, there are people that have invited him into their family rhythms. Over for dinner, over for all sorts of events as their family. And one of the most powerful things that he experienced from this family is one day when one of the, these family members uh, called him and said, hey, do you want to go on family vacation with us? And they didn't know that he had never been on a family vacation because of the way he grew up, some hard things that happened in his life. He just never was on one. The church stepped up. They invited him into their, his life. They blessed him in an amazing way. He gets to speak into the lives of their kids. They get to speak into his life. It's a blessing revolving circle, and it's beautiful. It would have been really hard for him. He can't just invite himself into everyone's life. It needs to be the other way around. I want us to challenge each one of us. Extend your families. Find other people. Put other people in your kids' lives. Make sure that your family and your kids know that, that the family of God is bigger and more diverse than they could ever imagine. Here's a couple ideas that Holly and I are starting to work towards in our lives, okay? Um, this is not a one-size-fits-all. You need to get creative based on your own family. But what if you brought people into your discipleship strategy, your family discipleship strategy? Whether that's family worship, inviting someone in, or uh, maybe a dinner and having very specific conversations with your kids and having them speak into that as well. Maybe it's a big event in your life and that you're, you want to invite them to, to be a part of it. Don't make it about making sure your kids are... are, are like super well-behaved, your house super clean. That's not the point. Invite them into your family, the real family, where they get to see how crazy your kids are and how bad of a parent you actually are. <laughs> I speaking, I'm speaking to myself, too. I'm, it's embarrassing sometimes how I parent. What about um, making uh, big occasions, birthday parties, not about the fact that we can get as many kids shoved into our house with as many fun things and presents. What if we, not that you can't do that or a form of that, but what if we deepened our big events, our big milestones? What if you prepare some key adults in your kid's life to walk in and have specific blessings that they want to say over your kids and that they can push them to be more like Christ? How much more powerful would that be? Maybe uh, serving in kids' ministry, youth ministry, kids' hope. This isn't just to fill a spot. Maybe it's serving in a way that just provides more opportunities to, to uh, other people to hang out with kids. I'm not saying everyone should, should serve in these ministries, but maybe you can find a role to help facilitate other people to do it. That's the same thing. We don't want it to do that just to fill a hole. We want you to do that uh, to serve parents who need help with their kids. These kids are being uh, uh, up, they're up against so much. These parents are up against so much. They need you to step in the gap. I would love to see at 
future parenting events, uh, single people, empty nesters, grandparents, parents of every single age. I want them all there because they are in relationship with someone in the next generation and they are pouring into them and they realize how hard it is for these young people. And they need help as well to help with them. Maybe the first step is just having a good conversation with your small group, joining a small group, getting into the lives of other people. And I want to hear stories, not as you showing off on how great you are. That's not it at all. I want to hear stories. I want to celebrate those stories. I want that to become a culture here at Five Oaks where we are serving and loving and blessing each other every single day. We're going to celebrate some baptisms in a moment. And... um, Although we can't all have relationships with everyone who's getting baptized, uh, I want us to commit to pray for each one of these uh, people. I want us to commit to pray for these families who are dedicating their kids. Walk alongside them. If you've been a Christian for more than a minute, you know you need help. These people need help too. But before we do that, we're going to take a family meal. And I say family meal because that's what it is. We as a family look back with the same exact experience. We all, if we are a Christian, we've all been saved by Christ's work, not by ourselves. So we look together and we look back with thankfulness, but we also look forward in hope. That one day all things are going to be made new and we can serve and love God forever in paradise. So we take the bread and we remember his body, which was broken for us. We take the juice to remember his blood that was shed for us. Lord, I pray for all these people being baptized. I pray for all these kids that were dedicated. I pray for this congregation. I pray that we all understand what it means to be a family and that we lean into that in the messiness of it. It's never going to be perfect. But I hope that we grow in our vision for what we want our lives to be and it's to be with you. That's the greatest blessing that we can all experience. So I pray that, Lord, that we use each other to know you more. I pray this in your name. Amen.